Let's pray together. Our Father, we come together before you today, and we come together for you today. Lord, I pray that we would come together and we would ascribe glory and strength to you. I pray that we would, we would ascribe holiness to you and seek after holiness ourselves. And Father, I pray that we would remember the, the great things that you have done for your people. And I pray that we would celebrate your goodness to us, your nearness to us, and your patience with us. Father, I pray that you would bring us joy and that we would rejoice in what it is that we celebrate today, the peace that passes all understanding that we have through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you would give us strength where we need it today. And Father, I pray that you would pour over us peace this morning. We pray in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. Good morning. My name is Brandon Lowry. I am the discipleship counseling pastor here at Bethel, and I'm so thankful to be able to share the word with you. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, Pastor Ken uh, really gave us a, a great head start into this story of the, the shepherds. And I want us to, to put that in context of what we are celebrating here even at this Advent season. And so the Advent season, this, this Advent is a celebration and a commemoration of Christ's first coming and an anticipation of his second coming. We come together to be intentionally reminded and to, to seek in this time of anticipation. We identify with the ancient Jews and their longing for the Messiah as foretold by their prophets. And like them, we open our eyes to the darkness that is around us. And we lament the suffering in the world. We cry out for God to come and put the world right. Advent is a season of waiting. We wait for the coming of God. We need him to come. But it's also a season of celebration. That we know that Christ did come. We know that, that he has brought peace to those who believe in him. We know that he has brought salvation for those who trust in him. And so it's a time of celebration, and yet there's something in us that knows it's a time of anticipation. We understand our world is messed up, and we understand that we are messed up. And so we take this week, and we confess our time of, of this need of peace, this, this need of completeness, this need of wholeness, that thing that is missing, that needs to be filled. This would be the word that the, the Jews use, that, that word would be shalom. And so even Jews today will use that as a welcome and, and as a greeting. But this idea of shalom is obviously a Jewish word, and so we don't find it in the New Testament. But we find another word, irene, irene is the word for peace that, that really when the New Testament writers were using that word, we would see that same idea of shalom. And so according to the Old Testament prophets, the Messiah would bring this shalom, this irene, in his kingdom, in his person. It was an essential characteristic of his kingdom, and it's almost always used in that way in the New Testament whenever this word is used. Now, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, but, but put your finger there and just go over to Ephesians. 
Uh, Ephesians is, is basically a, a, a letter from Paul in the New Testament. So it's going to be quite a few pages after the book of Luke. But I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And I just want you to see that the, the idea of salvation is really synonymous and it connects very much with this idea of wholeness, of, of completeness that we see in the word shalom. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, uh, he himself, talking about Jesus, he is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, irene, shalom, completeness, wholeness. Peace isn't really just a, a lack of conflict. But when we have peace, a lack of conflict is a positive symptom of that peace. And so whenever we hear the Bible talk about peace and we say, well, our world is so broken and our world is so combative and it's so aggressive, it can't be talking about the same thing that we are experiencing. And, and what he's saying is that as those who are trusting in Christ grow in this shalom, this peace, then we can experience that lack of conflict. And that's what we really have in Ephesians chapter 2. We'll get back to Luke 2 very quickly. Again, look down in verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So this idea of peace, of shalom, of completeness, of wholeness, it actually is very honest about where we live our lives. It actually rings true to us that we need that. And we need it over and over and over again. In fact, that really is God's plan of salvation. His goal is the restoration of what was lost in the, the fall, that shalom, that, that irene, the peace, the completeness, the wholeness, the, the pleasureful, joyful fellowship with God. And that was lost in the fall. And when we get that back, when we get that peace back, that shalom, that irene back, then all of those other positive symptoms can come. Our, our relationships, our marriages, the way we parent, the way that we do our politics can be affected. Without shalom, without irene, without peace, we're always seeking to fill that thing that is not complete, that's not whole with things of the world. We find that that doesn't work very well. And it is in this forgiveness through Jesus that that completeness, that wholeness, that peace is recovered. And so when we hear peace in the New Testament, we think of shalom, irene, wholeness, completeness. That really is the big idea today. That God is pleased to offer you this peace that you so desperately need. That's, that's really what we're going to see in Luke chapter 2 and the story of the shepherds and, and, and God breaking into reality and offering this peace to men. So let's read the text together. If you're taking notes, here's a simple outline to follow. This peace is going to be offered to everyone. We'll see that in verse 8. Second, we're going to see that the peace is offered by the most powerful one, and that is so important, as we'll find out, and that's in verses 9 to 10. 
And then third, this piece is offered in Christ alone. Verses 11 to 14. So let's read the text together. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So really, as we look back into the text now, the, the, the first point is that this peace is offered to everyone. Look back in Luke chapter 2 verse 8. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. This offer of peace is to everyone because everyone needs it. Jesus offers this peace to everyone he encountered. He, he offered this peace to the high and tight religious folk, like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. He, he offered this peace to the thick-knuckled laborers, like Peter and James and John, the fishermen, the builders, like his dad was. He offered this peace to the sleazy politicians like Zacchaeus. And he offered this peace to regular people like Lazarus and Martha. And here we see that he offered this peace, this shalom, this, this irene, to lowly shepherds. Now while all shepherds weren't bad, they were outcast from religious society. To be, to be honest, if you've ever driven through Wisconsin uh, past a, a cattle farm, in July, you would understand that, that hanging around animals all day is going to keep you out of most social circles. One historian describes ancient shepherds in this way. Most of the time, they were dishonest and thieving. They led their herds and other people's land into other people's land, pilfered the produce of the land. There is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd, and such pursuits are held mean and inglorious. These shepherds are humble at best, outcast in most societal circles. Yet God uses the most unexpected people for his most important work. You've maybe heard it said this way, God doesn't call the equipped, God equips the called. And that's what we see in these shepherds and as they go and they share the good news later on. But this has always been God's plan. This is what he did with Abraham back in the day. So Abraham is a pretty big character, pretty popular guy in, in the Jewish circles. Uh, but in Joshua chapter 24, he is described as being one who worshiped other gods. And, and, but God said, I took your father Abraham from beyond the Euphrates and led him through all the land of Canaan, and I multiplied his descendants. This one who was a pagan moon worshiper. How about David. David, again, is, is one of the marks of, of biblical leadership. And in 1 Samuel 16, we see that he wasn't much to look at. Nobody thought that he was going to be one to be used for this important task. In fact, when Samuel went to, to choose David, to anoint David, 
the, the other seven sons had went by and, and whenever Samuel says, none of these are going to, to be the one that God has selected, do you have any other sons? And he says, well, there remains one, yet the youngest, and behold, he is keeping the sheep. But the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How about the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul was someone who was, was greatly used in, in the way that we have our Bible, writing 13 of the 27 New Testament books. And yet, you know, whenever he came to Jesus, when he became converted, when he became a Christian, Acts 9.26 says they were all afraid of him and they didn't believe he was a disciple. You see, God uses the most unexpected people for his most important work. So maybe you're thinking this message isn't for you. Maybe you're discouraged and you feel weak like you can't do enough for God. You certainly can't do enough right. Or you've been unfaithful this week and you feel like you don't deserve love, you don't deserve forgiveness. Or you're bitter and you're angry at God. You don't want anything to do with him. And in fact, if you were really being honest, you don't like God. Can I tell you that I've been there? And if you were to ask the right questions, you would find out that everyone else in this room has been too. Everyone in this room has been in one of those places. In fact, we, we sang this just a few minutes ago. When we say, uh, saying, come weak and unstable, barren and waiting ones, weary of praying, we're tired of asking God. We want to see him show up. We are, we are longing for that irene, for that peace, for that shalom. We want it to be right. And yet it seems like he is just holding off and holding off. And so we become bitter and broken with fears unspoken. And yet the song and what we sang, it says, see what your God has done. Christ is born for you. He's the lamb that was given slain for our pardon. His promise is peace for those who believe. Luke is all about pleasure and joy and obedience and faith in Jesus. We can, we can turn later in Luke. We're, we're still talking about how he uses the most unexpected people for his most important work. Uh, turn over to Luke 15. Luke chapter 15. And many of you will understand that this is, is a, a chapter of parables, and so these are stories that bring a spiritual truth. Uh, and we're going to jump down to, to Luke chapter 15, verse 8. Here Jesus gives us an illustration. He says, what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors and says, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is rejoicing, there is pleasure, there is joy. Notice he doesn't say that one really good looking person repents, or one really wealthy person comes to me, or one person who's cleaned themselves up enough, but one sinner who repents. 
One sinner who changes their mind about God and follows him. That really is what repentance is. It's believing God's way is better than yours and then following him. That's all repentance is. It's changing my mind about who is the authority. And when I change my mind about who is the authority, then I follow him. And so there is rejoicing. Jesus makes the point even more clear when he gives the next parable. We understand this parable as the parable of the prodigal son. Now, we don't have time to pick it apart right now. But the big idea is that the father in the parable in the story is God. And the wild and out son is you. And, and he's me. He's, he's us. When the wild and out son realizes, believes, the love and the care of the father that is offered to him, he turns to the father and he says this. And, and you'll see in Luke chapter 15, verse 15. Luke chapter 15. Let me go to verse 18. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He understands this, and he, he goes to the father. And what does the father do? The father throws a party. God, in this story, throws a party. He happily accepts the son. He throws his arm around the son. Just like the woman who found the lost coin rejoices, just like the father who found his lost son rejoices, God and his angels rejoices when one wild and out person comes to him in faith and comes into the family. And at the end of this parable, Jesus says it this way, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. It was fitting for me to have pleasure. It was fitting to have joy. It was fitting to rejoice. For your brother was dead and is alive and he was lost and is found. The father forgave, and that's what mattered because he was the most important person in the story. There were others, and if you read the text, there were others who might not have been as impressed with the sons coming back and repenting. But that didn't bother the son in the story because the most powerful person forgave him. The most powerful person was pleased to offer peace with the son. Shalom, Irene, and we see this power displayed back in Luke chapter 2. And so although the most unexpected people are celebrated and, and used for God's most important work, we see that this is in part because the most powerful person is the one who is giving and offering this peace. Look back in the text with me. Luke chapter 2. Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. God is in the house. God has shown up. We have to keep in mind, it had been over 500 years since the nation of Israel had seen anything of the visible sign of the presence of God with his people. He'd left the temple, the religious folk, they were not doing uh, what they were supposed to be doing. And God says, I, I don't need this. I'm, I'm going out of the temple. His, his presence, that Shekinah glory left. And it had been hundreds of years since they knew of anything of the visible presence of God. And yet here it is in Luke chapter 2. 
He breaks into time and space to personally introduce Christ to the world. The authority of the one offering peace is important. When you are in good with the the person who is most authoritative in your life, you feel more secure, you feel more safe, you feel more whole. If you don't have peace with the most authoritative person in your life, you become insecure, easily offended, fearful, threatened. You can apply that to any area of your life that you would like to. Children, when you don't feel as though you are good with your parents, when you feel tension with your parents in the house, you, you know how that feels. And parents, you know what it feels like when your boss has it out for you. You know what it feels like when that coworker has the ear of the one who's above you. You, you know what it feels like to, to be ganged up on in your family. And maybe you're one of the siblings and the other sibling has the parent's ear and so Christmas is gonna be a little awkward this year. The authority of the person who's offering peace matters. So this week I was sitting and, and talking with an elementary age girl uh, in, in my office. This is, uh, I wish I could communicate the insight of children to you. Those of you who work with children uh, could probably share that with me as well. It's one of the highlights of my week to be able to, to counsel the, the children of SCS. They really do say the darndest things. So she says as she's sitting on the couch in my office and she's holding a small coffee cup between her two hands. She says, I just want my friends to accept me for being myself. She's nine. When I look and act like they do, they act like my friends, but I I can't keep pretending. I just want to be accepted for me. And so I ask, what do your parents say? And she says, well, they tell me, just don't listen to them. And, um, And I know that that's right, but that's really hard. It's hard for me to not hear the way that they whisper. It's hard for me to to not see the way they look at me and then the way that they point at me. So I pull out the Bible. I I pull out this Bible. And I slide it across the table And, and I read upside down as she follows along. And I, and I read these words. Talking to God. God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eye saw my unformed substance. In my book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And as I read that, I saw on the margin of this Bible that I've used for years, the the fading pencil that says, you are beautiful, for verse 14, and value for verse 15, and purpose for verse 16. And her shoulders straightened up a bit, and she took another sip 
from that small coffee mug as she focused on the words. And I said, this is the truth about you. Because this is what God says. Authority matters. Who's saying the things about you matters. And so, I didn't stop there. I said, now because that's what God says about you doesn't mean that's what other people are going to say about you. So we flipped over. We went to to Matthew chapter 5, 44, and we talked about how to react when her friends made her feel invisible or outcast. It's not just don't listen to them. Spoiler alert, that doesn't work for long. Maybe you've found that out. That there really is something that is broken about the way we feel. We really do need shalom in that moment. We really do need peace in that moment when we are being made to feel invisible or we're feeling like we are outcast. And so we read these words, again, flipping the Bible around and pushing it to her. And as she reads them out loud, uh, Jesus says this, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You see, counseling biblically isn't really rocket science. It's all right here. But the most important part about biblical counseling is the authority of the word of God. So parents... You are the authority of your children. You are due respect. But don't guide them from that place. Guide them from Scripture. Counsel your kids with the Bible. God is the ultimate authority. Uh, His way is true and is much more satisfying. When you are in good with the most powerful person, when your children are in good with the most powerful person, the lesser person can't rob you of peace. But if you don't have peace with the most powerful person in your life, you'll be insecure, easily offended, fearful, angry. But when you have peace with God, nothing else can rob you of peace. And when you don't have peace with God, anything can rob you of peace. Anything else can take your attention, expose your weaknesses, and discourage you. If we think about this for a minute, we are much more like that honest little girl than we care to confess We feel the need to defend, to hide, to cover our need for peace, for shalom, for irony. But God gladly offers another way. He calls us out like he did Abraham and David and the Apostle Paul. And this is good news. We don't have to be perfect. We can be honest about our need. Look back with me in Luke. Again, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 2, verse 19. Or Luke chapter 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is the most powerful one, so we know that his peace, the peace that he offers, the peace that he brings, is secure and it's sure. The offer of peace is summed up in the specific way that Jesus is introduced to the shepherds. Look back in the, in the text. It, it says this, he is Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
The big idea is this, the, the only just punishment for sins committed against an infinite and eternal God is infinite punishment. That's why we need a savior. And that is what, what Jesus was being introduced as Christ. He is God's anointed one. He is the one who's going to come and fulfill those Old Testament prophecies. And then Lord, and without getting too much into this, uh, there are almost 6,000 references of the Lord in the Old Testament. Luke is an account of the very first time that we see God showing up in visible form since those years of silence. To introduce Jesus as Lord is no mistake. It means that he is Jehovah God. He is the God of the Old Testament incarnate. He is the most powerful one and he is the only one where we find lasting peace. So, Looking back in the text, Luke chapter 2, we see that this peace is only offered in Christ alone, in that most powerful one. He goes on to say, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on peace, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the Christ child is described, the heavenly host cannot hold back any longer. When Christ is specifically uh, described and pointed to, well, there's this eruption of praise. There had never been anything like this before. Uh, a recent spiritual song captures the moment. The lyrics say this, No room for a king, no celebration and no ceremony. In that little town, nobody would think this is the story of the coming glory. Can you hear the prayers that people prayed? Can you see the skies begin to break when heaven and earth were face to face? Oh, how the world forever changed. There had been prayer walks with God himself in the garden. There had been intimidating thunder from Mount Sinai. There had been visions of throne rooms and revealed angels for prophets in time of need, but there had never been this. There had never been this explosion this heavenly praise on display with the Shekinah glory like there was to the shepherds that night. This moment is the center of creation's history. Heaven has come to earth face to face. Heaven has come to earth in a person, in a baby. The Lord of glory for you is how it's described, very personal to these shepherds. It's not just for somebody else, but, but it is for them. And for all people. And the Lord of glory is described specifically. The shepherds knew what to look for. They knew to look for that baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. They knew who to look for. They knew the object of their faith. The object that they're looking to for shalom, for peace, for irene. Do you? Do you know where you're looking for that peace? Do you know to look to Jesus as your only way for that powerful peace? I, I ask you, brothers and sisters, to believe that today, that Jesus is the place to find that completeness and that wholeness. As the Hebrews long for Christ to come for the wholeness and completeness, we too long for that wholeness and completeness. 
We look to Jesus to, to deliver us from our insecurity, our, our offense, our fear, our anger. And maybe even today as we talk about this and we focus our, our objective faith on Christ alone, maybe you feel weak in faith. But if you come to Jesus, you are safe. You don't have to worry about the amount of your faith. The amount of your faith is not the key. The object of your faith, the specific object of Jesus Christ as your faith is. Let's look back at the text one more time as we close. Luke chapter 2 verse 14. These angels, the multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, depending on what translation you have, you, you'll see some different wording. Uh, the, the New American Standard says among men with whom he is pleased. The ESV, which we're reading, says those with whom he is pleased. The, the NIV says those on whom his favor rests. And the King James says goodwill toward men. Really, the, the phrase means that those upon whom God's will and favor rests. And it expresses this idea of the free choice that God has in, in the way that he is willing and, and, and favorable toward certain people to save. This offer for powerful peace is made to every person in the room. And this is made for all people. And this is the big idea that, that God is pleased to offer you this peace that you so desperately need today. Everyone needs it. God is, is happy. God is joyful. God is rejoicing. God is pleasurable in offering you this peace today. Will you believe it? Will you accept it? Will you see Jesus as the object of your faith and, and the place that you look for that peace? God uses the most unexpected people for his most important work. All he is asking is that we would believe that he is doing what he says he's doing. That you would believe he's good and he's gracious in doing that. And then that you would follow him. Our father rejoices. Our God rejoices over those who have come to him in faith. He's pleased to offer that to you today. He's not holding it back. He's not begrudging in it. He is generous and he is kind and he is joyful in his, offer, in his offer and his invitation to trust him for peace, that shalom, that completeness, that wholeness that your soul is looking for. Let's pray together. Our Father, I thank you for the opportunity that you have us to look in your word, to see again how good you are, to see again how patient you are. Father, to see again how practical you are. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you in the room. I pray that they would be honest with, with those areas in their life that they know that they need wholeness and completeness. And I pray that they would know where they feel condemned and, and self-judgmental. 
God, I pray that they would come to you to know that, that they are right with the, the most powerful one in the universe. God graciously, pleasurefully offers this peace to his creation. And Lord, I pray for those who respond in faith. I thank you for those who are walking with you. And I pray that, that casting their eyes back on Jesus and being able to, to see Jesus as the author and finisher of their faith, the object of their faith, that they would, they would behold the Lord of glory and that their relationships would be healed, that their insecurities would be healed, that they, that they would move in a way that is more confident in following you in holiness and purity and kindness, gentleness, love, and self-control. Father, may your word be effective in our lives today and this week and this Advent season, we pray for your priests and in Jesus' name, amen.